I'm Talmadge Boston, and welcome to Cross-Examining History, where we explore America's fascinating past and present with our country's leading authors and thought leaders. Today, I cross-examined best-selling novelist John Grisham, whose newest novel, The Accomplice, is part of the Theo Boone series written for young teenagers, and it will be coming out on May the 14th. If you haven't turned your kids or grandkids onto the exploits of Theo Boone, Kid Lawyer, I bet you'll want to start after you hear this podcast. Enjoy. So you ready? Sure. All right. John, you've made your fame and fortune off writing adult thrillers over the last 30 years. But nine years ago, you started writing novels for young teenagers that feature Theo Boone, Kid Lawyer. You've now written seven Boone books, with the newest one, The Accomplice, coming out on May the 14th. What led you to start writing fiction for kids? I had never thought about it until uh, my daughter, who was a uh, first-year school teacher, uh, teaching a bunch of fifth graders at a magnet school in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, she was trying to emphasize reading for kids, as, as she has always done, and she asked me over dinner one night if I could write suspense for kids. She said that she uh, finds a lot of books for, you know, kid, different types of books for kids, fantasy and uh, historical fiction and all these different types of books, but she'd been having trouble finding suspense that she thought was, uh, you know, good. And I never thought about it, but I started thinking about it. And uh, one thing led to the other, and it became sort of a challenge, uh, you know, as a writer. You, you, you think you can write almost anything once you reach a certain level. You can't, because I've tried many things and was not successful. But I, I, th- I thought I could write for kids, especially when I came up with the character of Theodore Boone a 13-year-old kid who thinks he's a lawyer. Uh, both of his parents, he's an only child. Both of, his, both of his parents are attorneys, and he has kind of grown up with the law, both at home uh, in almost every aspect of their lives. But he also has his own office uh, with his parents. His parents practice together in a small town. And Theo has a law office in the back of the uh, building. And because he knows so much law, he knows all the judges and lawyers in town. He knows where the courtrooms are. He knows most of the policemen. He, he just really enjoys watching trials and knowing lawyers. And uh, he also uh, gets in a lot of trouble because he likes to give legal advice to his 13-year-old friends. And so uh, he kind of stays in trouble. But that was the whole premise. And when I wrote the first one, um, Kid Lawyer came out nine years ago, and it was um, – well-received, and so I, I said, well, I'll, I'll try it again. So uh, the series continues. Well, people your age and my age uh, grew up with our own fictional heroes. You and you and I uh, grew up reading The Hardy Boys, and our sisters read Nancy Drew. How does Theo Boone uh, compare with those uh, fictional characters from a generation ago? Well, I, you know, I read all those books. I didn't read Nancy Drew. That was for girls. Uh, I read... Uh, Many Hardy Boys. My favorite series as a kid was called the Chip Hilton Sports Series, written by Claire B., uh, an old coach. And Chip Hilton was a high school 
uh, athlete who was a star and, you know, in high school and in college. And there were probably 12 to 15 of those books that I discovered in 1966 when I was 11 years old at the um, uh, elementary school in Ripley, Mississippi. They had them in the library. And that, those were my favorite kids' books. Uh, we, were, we were helping my daughter get her classroom prepared for her first year. She wanted to put in a reading corner. And so Renee and I uh, went to our local bookstore and said, we would like to buy um, a complete set of Hardy Boys and a complete set of Nancy Drew. And uh, the bookstore checked, and she said, yeah, I can, I can get those for you. <laughs> I didn't know there were 74 Hardy Boys books and uh, probably 50 Nancy Drew. So we bought them all brand new and put them in our daughter's uh, library. But I started thinking about, you know, those, those books are, um, the Hardy Boys books especially are just uh, timeless, endless. And so many of us have grown up uh, or grew up reading those books. And they're, they're really uh, uh, very much a part of our, our childhood. And, and that was sort of inspirational. I thought that I caught myself thinking, oh, can I do this with Theo? I'm, so I'm going to try it, and I'm still trying. Mm-hmm. But the content in your Theo Boone novels go way beyond their mere mystery plots. It appears that you write them for other reasons, too. First of all, they teach kids about how the legal system works and how lawyers go about their business. So what inspired you to make these books have this educational component to them? Well, it's an easy forum to, 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 to inform kids, educate kids, to make kids aware of um, how things really work when it comes to the law. I'm afraid of a, a lot of the stuff they see on television is not accurate and probably presents a, you know, a bad portrayal of what the law really is and how it operates. And so that was – in every book I've got um, uh, one or two legal issues, one or two cases that we – you know, the reader goes through and, and the kids – as they read, hopefully are learning. And I think they are. Uh, I've, I've been lucky. I've got a lot of feedback from uh, teachers um, from all over the place who will send me like 25. Every student will write me a letter, and they'll, they'll talk about what they enjoyed about the books and what they enjoyed learning about the law. And, and I get stacks of those letters. They're all fun to read. I got a great letter one time from a federal judge in California, uh, a, a class had uh, on a field trip come to his courtroom, and he knew they were coming, so it was all planned. And he had a trial going on, and they uh, they, they watched the trial and uh, for a few hours. And at um, lunchtime, he had a, a little lunch prepared for him back in his chambers, and it was real, you know, a lot of fun for kids. And <laughs> they started peppering the judge with questions about the law and procedure and trials and lawyers, and he was astonished at how much they knew. And uh, they said, yeah, we, well, we've we got all the field books <laughs> so far. <laughs> so, so the judge wrote me this really, uh, really nice letter. Uh, he was so impressed with how much these kids had learned reading about Theodore Boone. And so that, that made it all worthwhile. Well, it's been about 30 years since you retired from being a lawyer yourself to spend full time on your writing. And so how do you stay fresh on the law? Well, it's a challenge uh, in one regard. Uh, it's fairly easy to 
monitor legal developments and cases and trials and uh, issues, things like that, just, you know, reading the newspaper, magazines, uh, staying abreast with what's happening with the law. Some of the technical stuff that you have to know every day as a lawyer, especially if you're in the courtroom, um, that kind of slips away. It, you know, it's, if you don't do it every day, you, you start to lose it. And um, I, uh, typically in the middle of a legal thriller, I will hire a um, uh, research assistant from UVA. We live here in Charlottesville, and uh, UVA is here, and it's a great university and a fantastic law school with some really, really bright kids, and it's always fun to, to hire one or two of them and make them do the hard work, <laughs> the legal research. <laughs> so that's how, I, that's how I stay abreast. Well, the Theo Boone books are also filled with life lessons, as your young readers start getting the idea of what maturity feels like, lessons like the need to tell the truth, to listen to your conscience, to be respectful to your parents and legal authorities, to build a network of good people and stay away from bad influences, things like that. So what made you want to have such a strong moral slant in your Theo Boone books? You know, Talmadge, I don't think about it as, as a moral slant. I think about it just, just, just good behavior. The way you and I were taught by our parents, uh, the, the lessons of life, how you're supposed to treat other people, how you're supposed to help other people, you know, how you're supposed to respect authority, uh, how you're supposed to dislike dishonesty. Uh, that's, that's the way I was raised. That's the way you were raised. And we, I guess we're lucky we had great parents. Uh, but, um, you know, there's not all kids are raised like that. And, and, and yeah, I worry about that. I worry about some of these really core lessons that are not being taught or are learned. And so if I can, in a small way, in a, you know, in a book, uh, without preaching, uh, pass along some wisdom to kids through illustration, through characters, through conflict, um, uh, that's a good thing. Absolutely. And, and along those lines, the Boone books also describe how a functional family works and what it looks like. Theo and his parents have a great relationship, and they find ways to support each other. And since we're living in an era where holding a family together has become increasingly difficult, why does the Theo Boone series have such a strong family element to it? Well, I worry about that a little bit. I mean, it's easy for me to write about a strong family, uh, a strong, cohesive family, because that's where I came from. I, I was lucky. Again, I had great parents, and we, and we were we were raised a certain way, and I've been lucky to have, be married to the same fine woman for 38 years now and raised our kids that way. So, and I, again, I realize that, you know, our old friend Pat Conroy uh, sold a zillion books writing about his dysfunctional family. Uh, that's what a lot of writers do, because that's what they live. Um I, 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 don't, I don't want the family to seem too perfect, uh, Boone, the, the Boone family, and so they they have conflicts. Uh, like in the current book, The Accomplice, Theo gets really ticked off at his parents because they're both lawyers, but they will not intervene and help one of his friends who's in jail. And they say, well, we don't do criminal law. And Theo argues, and says, yeah, but you're lawyers. You know, you could you could help my friend. And anyway, so they go through a several-day period where Theo is really ticked off at his parents. He, 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 he doesn't criticize them because he has no one to talk to, but he, he's really down on them, and they, they work things out, as they always do. 
Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to present something that's real without making them seem too too perfect. They're not, not perfect. They they work too hard. They put in too many hours. His mother's a lousy cook. Uh, she doesn't want to be in the kitchen because, she you know, she's a professional woman. His father um, <laughs> smokes cigars, or he smokes a pipe in his office, and, you know, the ladies in the office don't like that. And so, you know, well, they've got their own little quirks. Yep. Well, not many novelists write for both teens and adults the way you do. So what's the most important difference between writing fiction for adults as compared to writing for young teenagers? Well, obviously, subject matter. Uh, you can't. Uh, you got to watch what you write about. In one of the uh, early Theo books, uh, I had Theo sneaking around the main courtroom watching a trial and that turned out to be a rape trial. And uh, I thought really nothing of that. Uh, my editor in New York didn't like it in, in a very professional way. said, this is, this is for kids, and we think the issue of rape is something that should not be mentioned. I said, sure, I get that. So you got to be careful with the subject matter, what you talk about. Obviously, the plots are not as intricate and complicated as uh, these, you know, the legal thrillers. The part, part of the fun of a legal thriller is piecing together a, a complicated plot that uh, the reader that keeps the reader guessing until the very end. I, I really enjoyed doing that. You can't really um, do that with a kid's book. Uh, obviously, uh, vocabulary, language, the writing style is simpler, um, and then books are shorter. They're, they're easier to write. It takes about three months to write a Theo book and about six or seven months to write a legal story. So th those are the main differences. Well, is it hard for you to re-enter the mind of a 13-year-old eighth grader and walk around in his shoes? Very difficult, very difficult. Uh, what gets me through it uh, is that when I was 13, in the eighth grade, I had a very, very good year. I just had a great year. Uh, I was the big man on campus, you know, <laughs> in the middle school. The following year, we knew we were going to high school where things would change radically. It's kind of, it's kind of like the last year of innocence because you're, you, you can be a kid and enjoy being a kid before you get to high school when you got to act like something else. Uh, I was active in sports and got to play all the sports because I was, you know, one of the older kids. Um, we were discovering girls, uh, which was, you know, always fun. Um, I love Boy Scouts. We had a great Boy Scout troop and a, and a, and a great Boy Scout master, and we, we, we were in the woods at least once a month camping during long weekends and summer camps in the summer and the challenge of, of uh, advancing in rank, the challenge of acquiring merit badges. Um, we just, we loved scouting and uh, we were very active in our church. We had a big uh, church group and all my friends were there and all my parents' friends were there. And Anyway, it was, just one, it was just one of those really magical years I look back and and I had it made. You know, I was just, uh, and I, I, all my years were good. I didn't have any bad years, but the eighth grade at the age of 13 was, was really special. And I can, you know, as I write about Theo, he's always going to be 13. He's never going to grow up. He's never going to go to law school. He's never going to become <laughs> a lawyer. He's always going to be 13, I, I think. Uh, it's, I have to get back in that mindset of being a kid. And, and I'll, sometimes I'll write a sentence and I'll, I'll read. I always read a sentence out loud after I write it to make sure it sounds okay. 
and I'll I'll write a sentence and read it, and I'll, I'll ask myself. Uh, I'm, I say I'm not sure a 13 year old kid would quite put it that way. So that's a constant process of trying to think and talk and act like a 13 year old. Mm-hmm. Well, have you found that young people who read Theo Boone in time as they get older do they graduate up to read your adult thrillers? Now we're talking. There's the whole marketing <laughs> scheme right there. You get, them, you get them hooked young, okay? You get them hooked with Theo, and then when they turn 15, they realize there's a whole bunch of Grisham legal stores out there. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a real – I've been discovered. That's a real motive right there. <laughs> now, many of the plots in your novels, both for adults and in the Theo Boone series, are inspired by actual events that have happened somewhere in the real world, which you proceed to fictionalize. So is the plot in the new Boone book, The Accomplice, where a 13-year-old boy gets stuck in jail for days after being wrongfully charged with armed robbery, is that tied to a real-life story? I don't think so. I don't think, I mean, I can't, um, I, don't, I don't recall one like that. Uh, I wanted to, I wanted to, uh, and I want to do this in, in a legal thriller, I want to discover, I want to explore the, the youth, the juvenile justice system, because it's broken in your state of Texas, it's broken in my state of Virginia, it's broken in virtually every state in the country, and it's really doing a great injustice to kids uh, when we stick them in the system. And I can't do that, I don't think, in a Theo book. It's a little bit too heavy for that. Um, but I, I really wanted to to explore the issue of bail reform, which is a huge problem in this country where people get stuck in jail for fairly um, – uh, mild charges before they're found guilty as they're waiting processing or waiting trial or whatever they get stuck in jail with exorbitant bonds and they can't get out they lose their jobs they lose their driver's license they lose everything and they're presumed to be innocent you know i think bail should be used uh rarely especially for violent criminals people who should who should not be on the street people who are charged with serious crimes uh, they should face a tougher bail. Uh, but we, we, we are so desperately need bail reform in the U.S. because it's, it's crushing so many people. I wanted to kind of walk the reader. Most, most people don't understand bail reform. What, what is a bail? What is a bond? It's about the same thing, you know. So how, how do they work? How do you get somebody out of jail? And I wanted to take the, the readers through it with a Theo book in a simplified fashion and try to explain that. What well, is the storyline in The Accomplice have any connection, or was it in any way inspired by your only nonfiction book, The Innocent Man? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty obvious I'm hung up on innocence. Uh, I've written about it several times now. The book I'm writing, the legal thriller I'm writing now, is uh, all about wrongful convictions and some that go very wrong. So I, I'm, that's, that subject matter has had my attention for a long time. And we'll continue. I'm on the board of the Innocence Project in New York, and so I do this kind of work, you know, almost almost every day. Uh, yeah, you know, it's 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 really. Um, I have never been accused of a serious crime, and I, I cannot imagine what it would be like to be accused when you're completely innocent, when you had nothing to do with it, didn't know about it, but the police look at you and point the finger. And it's got to be a sick feeling to think that, you know, wait a minute, I, I didn't do it. I'm crushed. I'm hurt to think that you think I did it. And then you realize the system is cranking up to move 
against you with all of its power and force. It's a, it's a very scary feeling. And I wanted to kind of convey that in the novel. Well, one of the legal themes in The Accomplice is the reality that in 2019, as you've just been talking about, many parts of our criminal justice system aren't working well, and they need to be fixed. And on page 138, you, you rattle them off. The bail system is unfair. Long prison sentences are imposed on nonviolent people. The damage that flows from mass incarceration and the political election for judges. Do you see progress in any of these areas where reform is clearly needed? I don't see any progress on the issue of judicial elections. Uh, I'm not sure there are any states trying to do away with those. About, I think about 35 or 36 states elect judges, including your state, um, my home state of Mississippi. In Virginia, we have a better system here. We do, do not elect judges. Uh, and I, it's just a better way to do it. You get better judges, and you keep the politics out of it. Uh, I don't see any movement there. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of talk now uh, about reform. Uh, we were getting um, – it's becoming, it's becoming more and more bipartisan because from the left, you have Democrats who, have been, who see the injustice and have been wanting to redo the system or to make changes for a long time. Finally, from the right, you're getting the conservatives who realize how much this is costing us. When you have two and a half million people in prison, some of our corrections departments around the country are, you know, bankrupting the state budgets because we just have too many people locked up. And, and that, as our prison population ages, it gets more and more expensive. And, you know, because there's more health care and more problems and whatever. And, you, you know, we just got people serving these long, Sentences that they need to be out, but I think I think there's some there was some real progress until the last couple of years, and uh, unfortunately, um, um, Jeff Sessions, the Attorney General, did not did not believe in in the cause, did not see the need for reform. In fact, he wanted to go back and revert back to more jail, more sentences, more longer sentences, you're tougher on crime, that kind of stuff. And, yeah, you know, we've, we've lost the war on drugs. We're losing the war on poverty. We're losing the war on crime. We're getting our butts kicked with these wars. And as a result, we've got two and a half million people in prison, and we've got to pay for them. They cost 50000 bucks a year. So um, I, I, th- I think there will be – the problems are not going to go away. The problems are going to get worse. And at some point, we've got to have even more bipartisan uh, support to, to solve some of these problems. We, we could fix a lot of stuff virtually overnight if we would if we had the political will to do it and that's something that i'm you know uh concerned about daily it's something i think about writing about all the time well one of the uh one of my favorite parts in the accomplice is where theo is talking about the problems in the bail system and i think maybe it's his uncle who says why don't you get involved? Why don't you do something about it? They, you know, get online, see see what people are doing to try to turn this around. Uh, and I thought that was uh, inspirational to young people to realize that there are ways to start getting involved now rather than way on down the road. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there, there there's no shortage of uh, of uh, nonprofits and legal advocacy groups who are attacking. 
these problems from all different directions. Uh, there's, there, there, you know, there are a lot of good folks who are working hard to um, correct the problems we have in our system, our, our, our judicial system, our penal system, our, you know, as I said, the juvenile justice system. Uh, there, there's some serious advocates out there and serious groups. It's easy to get involved with those groups. Well, your next adult thriller is due out on October the 15th, and Amazon st- says it still does not have a title and gives nothing in the way of describing its plot. So can you give us a hint about what it's going to be about? Well, I'm not sure. I've written 500 pages. I'm still confused. So uh, <laughs> uh, usually uh, this is not unusual for me to not have a title this late in the game. I've, I've, I'll be finished with it in a month. Or so, and um, it's it's really frustrating to be here this late in the game. When I don't have a title at the beginning, which is normally the case, I always have this uh, useless dream that along the way I'm going to hear something or read something or just create something brilliant that's going to lead to a great title like to kill a mockingbird, gone with the wind, the grapes <laughs> of wrath, in cold blood. All you know, but the, all the great titles have already been used. So I'm stuck with the something, and <laughs> I'm not knocking it. The firm, you know, kind of made out everything else happen. Uh, most of my books have just you know one word title. Um, so no, I'm I'm not anywhere closer to a title. I got two or three. We're at the point now where I've got my publisher and my friends at Doubleday and my agent in New York. We're all kicking around ideas, and, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll agree on something. Uh, at least twice in the last 25 years, I've had to go to New York uh, on deadline day and <laughs> walk into my publisher's office at like 11 o'clock, close the door, and say, okay, at noon we have to have a title. Well, whatever it is. You know, it's, how, how bad it is, we've got to have a title. So that's it's an, an annual struggle for me. It's a story about a um, – um, it's, it's kind of inspired by a real guy. Uh, There's a guy named Jim McCloskey who 40 years ago founded an outfit called Centurion Ministries. And McCloskey uh, is this larger-than-life character who devoted his entire life to exonerating innocent prisoners. And he was trained as a minister, and he founded his calling from God to uh, go into prison, prisons and talk to the men, discover, determine who uh, is really innocent, and then work to get that person out. And he, um, this is what he did. On a shoestring budget, he, he built an organization that was never very big. And over the course of 40 years, he exonerated 61 men. And I think one or, I think 61 total, like a couple of them may have been women. Uh, but his stories are just uh, phenomenal. He's writing a book about it now. I know the guy pretty well. He's, he's up at Princeton. And uh, if you want to read something inspiring, just Google uh, Centurion Ministries, and you'll get the whole story behind that organization. But I, I love the idea of this sort of a lone gunman who goes from coast to coast, taking a few cases at a time, goes back to the beginning, to the crime scene, investigates, and figures out a way to exonerate somebody who should not be in prison. 
And that's, that's the backdrop of the story. Uh, our hero in the book uh, does that. And he, uh, however, he, um, he finally takes a case he shouldn't take. And he tries to exonerate a person he's, he's convinced is innocent. But there are some stronger forces that, uh, uh, powers that be, who do not want this person out of prison for a bunch of reasons. They framed him. They put him there. They want him to stay there. And when our guy goes sticking his nose in the into this case, uh, you know, bad things happen. So that's the suspense of the whole story. And that's pretty much it. I cannot imagine anybody hearing that description and not buying your book. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, thank you. I hope so. I hope so. Well, John, thanks so much for your time. Uh, best of luck on The Accomplice and keep those Theo Boone books going. I will tell whoever listens to this podcast, you don't have to be a teenager to enjoy Theo Boone. They're, they're a lot of fun for adults to read as well. So good luck with your title and finishing your book, and uh, we'll look forward to it. Thanks, Sam. It's always a pleasure. Okay. Bye-bye. See you. Take care. John Grisham is one of our nation's greatest storytellers. His books have entertained hundreds of millions of people since he started writing novels almost 30 years ago. As you've heard in this interview, John has a mission in his fiction writing for young adolescents that elevates him above his best-selling peers. You can find John's new book in the Theo Boone series, The Accomplice, on Amazon and wherever good books are sold. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and make sure you catch all my podcasts on Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you find your podcasts. Until next time, remember the words of my great friend, Bobby Bregan, you can't hit the ball with a bat on your shoulder. This is Talmadge Boston of the law firm Shackelford, Bowen, McKinley, and Norton. Thanks for listening.